I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me as I talk with today's most important influencers, guides, and changemakers to uncover what truly drives them and extract the big takeaway from their personal journey and their greatest wisdom. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. I continue here a special short series on what drives you with some interesting people, people who got clear on what they wanted and why, which is what creates authentic drive, knowing what you want and why, really why. That's the focus of my book, What Drives You? Well, here I bring you Kara Golden. Kara is well-known as the founder and CEO of Hint, Inc. Hint is the unsweetened flavored water that's become one of the most successful beverage businesses of our time. I see for sale a lot of places, Starbucks and other places like that. Kara's book is called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And she's host of the podcast, The Kara Golden Show. I, of course, wanted to know what drives Kara. Uh, here's part of it. The beginning, as you're going to hear in just a moment, Kara was the youngest of five children. And at age eight, realized both her parents had dreams they did not pursue. So in the story, you're going to hear her career trajectory and willingness to believe in herself and have faith in overcoming the obstacles that will present themselves with any endeavor of worth. If you've uh, ever seen or had Hint Water, again, Starbucks or Whole Foods or today some grocery chain, Kara started that out of her home kitchen. Just an incredible story. I think you're really going to enjoy this story here of Drive. Okay, Kara, well, I appreciate that you're sitting there drinking your product. I have it in my hand as Yay! well. So here, I'll, I'll get started with that. Yay. Okay, here's, here's actually, I'm going to go, uh, this is not on target with the show, but as I'm reading all your stuff, my first thought was I'm feeling a little convicted. I, I drink a lot. I have uh, built up a pretty good, you talked about your Coke, diet Coke addiction. Mine is, I hope it's better than that, but it's been the flavored seltzer waters. And then I went online and looked at, you know, LaCroix and whatnot and saw all this stuff. And now I wonder what on earth am I drinking? Mm -hmm. what, what am I drinking in these flavored seltzer waters? Cause I, I, we just pick them up here and there, whatever's in front of us. I'm not loyal to one, but now I'm, now I'm wondering, I don't know what's going in me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I don't know the answer, um, you know, with, with all these brands, I know that when I was, you know, initially kind of looking at this industry 15 years ago, vitamin water, you know, back then, and yeah. this was before they got acquired by Coke, um, they had like, you know, cockroach wings for coloring in their product and bone marrow and some other things. And again, those things, this is the conversation that a lot of people have had around natural. Yeah. Like, and because those are all classified by the FDA as natural, but you know, there's plenty of people who, you know, are French or like French food and they eat bone marrow. But I think a lot of people would agree, like actually having it in drinks. And so I, you know, one of the things that I've sort of I mean, it's sort of a, another kind of passion project that I have that I work on some stuff in Washington and, you know, kind of like 
get on these bandwagons where I call out, you know, the FDA and sometimes the EPA on some of this stuff that they're doing too, all in the name of, you know, consumers should just know about this stuff. But the fact that there's so many of these drinks that aren't Mm -hmm. vegan and I'm, you know, not vegan, um, but I have friends who are, and I know there's people out there and, you know, some people even for religious reasons, right, are drinking these things and Mm -hmm. don't even like think for a minute you know, that they should actually be looking at what they're putting in their body. And I just think it's just not cool. Right. Like it's just right. Like it's just it's, mis- not- it's misleading. Yeah. Now I'm it's critical misleading. of anything that says healthy on it because I look at some of our, you know, health foods at the health food store and it's some of the most processed junk I've ever seen. It just yeah. doesn't happen to have whatever gluten or corn syrup or whatnot. And so, okay, well now I'm, I'm going to have to, well, yeah, it's you just would- very hypocritical. And, and again, like I just don't, you know, I think part of the problem is, and you know, LaCroix has gotten some heat. I, I mean, saw, you know, yeah. Over, over the years, but, um, but I, do, I can't really say what they, what they put in. I, I just know that we use plants, you know, there's, it's, it's not necessarily um, depending on the flavor and depending on the time of the year, like our blackberry, for example, we may be using grape skins um, it, with it, but we're we're 100 percent vegan. We're not using, you know, non plants for yeah. our product. And so um, but I think it's it's a very valid concern you know, that's out there. And I think not just in our beverages, but also in our food industry and, and also, you know, even like vitamins. I mean, it's crazy. Like vitamins aren't regulated. I mean, like, it's crazy. People are obviously buying a vitamin, you know, at Target, you know, because they believe that they want to fix something or they want to get healthier or whatever. They're like on the program. And, and it's like, it's, I actually, you know, look at some of these retailers too. And I say like, just don't buy it then. Mm-hmm. Don't put it on your shelf. Don't put it behind your brand because you're tricking the consumer. Yeah. And again, like you can go ahead and like sell it. That's not what I'm trying to stop, trying to stop doing. What I'm saying is like, just, just disclose. Yeah. Like that's all. If you tell people like, oh, we're, we're not regulated. We're just selling stuff and trying to trick you then and people still buy it cool you know well, that's fine. you know your tagline for your company helping people fall in love with healthy choices I, I love that because we want everybody to be responsible like me if i'm going to be drinking this stuff i should go figure out what is in it what is in this yeah. brand this company but we don't do that because it's on the shelves and we believe it since the fda fda approved it and uh, well, this is part of your story. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I want to yeah, go no, and I, I want to go back. I mean, you now yeah. I, I appreciate even where you started off with your childhood. You know, your youngest of five kids. Um, I've got nine uh, kiddos. And so I appreciate. What? Yeah. Oh I, I, wow. I, I appreciate you saying you had to fend for yourself and ultimately, you know, make your voice heard. So I'm thinking about some of my kids and think, hey, I don't know what they would have been naturally if they'd have been only ch- children. They came into a family and they have to do that. But I assume as I look at your trajectory that even that your early childhood and that reality was a lot of what made you. I'm sure you get the, you know, the aspect of, oh, Kara's, you know, a, a very driven, but you were. I mean, it was a big part of your entire path. It seems to have started back then from being the youngest of five to, you know, gymnastics. You said you were a feisty kid and that that your family seems to have been even to the later parts of you testifying about your father, big influence on making you who you were and why you pushed forward as much as you did. Yeah. And it wasn't clear to me, obviously, back then. I mean, you know, I think I, I have I've gotten this you know question over the years. I mean, I think it's like, um, you know, for me, I think that the 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 quick thing when I was writing this book, when I was thinking about it is we almost had two sets of like two families because yeah. I have a brother and sister that are 15 and 16 years older than me. And then there was a huge break. And then my parents had three more kids. And so the three kids were super, super tight. And um, and then I had these, you know, brothers and, and a sister that were older. And and uh, one of the stories in there is about my brother. Like I, I used to sit there yeah. and, you know, he would he would always be tinkering and doing things and fixing up cars. And I'd sit in the garage with him because he had great music and stuff. And I'd just sit there and talk to him and and like hang out and ask him what he was doing or 
you know, for therapy, I think sometimes he would just like talk to me about how hard it was, you know, to do this kind of stuff. And so the, I was a sponge just constantly, you know, learning about, you know, what he was doing, but also he, you know, wanted to make money. I mean, we, we were very super middle-class, like, you know, it was like, he knew he had to have a job and do stuff. Um, but I, but I think like having that instilled in me, like, you know, early on, I never really understood why I couldn't like, you know, be him. Right. Like why I couldn't go and get a job, you know, just because of age, like, and, and people would say to me, um, like my dad would say, well, it's just because, and I'd be like, well, why, you know, like I'd always be asking why. And so I've said to parents out there, I'm like, if your kid is always asking why, like, it's okay. Right. Like, let them keep asking why it's just, you know, you're just curious. Well, right? you and saying that you're a sponge. I mean, that's the thing we look at kids and go, why are they that way? And we don't know what is it that germinated that, but yeah, it's interesting. You talked about, you talked about your older brother, Kevin, which I, picked up since yeah. that's my name. It stuck out, but that yeah. you were aware of him and his drive and his overcoming obstacles and jointly aware of your parents having dreams. They didn't go after. And you wrote about that in the book. How old were you then when you realized that? Cause that's a big thing for a kid to be cognizant of. Yeah. I mean, pretty young. I think I was probably like, you know, eight or nine years old. I, I, my mom actually went back to work when I was in kindergarten. Yeah. And so she had been home, like raising the kids and sort of like doing substitute teaching. She was an art history major. And, um, and then she decided when, when, you know, I was in, in kindergarten and was going to school more that she would go and kind of find her passion around fashion. And so she was actually, um, you know, working initially in a department store and, and she ultimately wanted to do stuff around like personal shopping. I mean, this was way before people were even talking about this. And, and so, you know, one of the, I talk about this in, in the chapter in the book, but, you know, my dad definitely, and my brothers and sisters had, um, definitely an impact on me, but also, you know, my mom changing careers at age like 45, you know, was just kind of like, you know, it was normal, right? Like it was just kind of, and also my dad just being, I mean, of course he liked the money, you know, that she was like making and whatever, but he was also kind of like, well, that's cool. You know, like he was, he was just, I mean, he just, so he was supportive. Yeah. Right. And, and he just wanted her to be happy. I mean, happy wife, happy life. Right. <laughs> like right. he was like, you know, he was just like, and so it would be a conversation, you know, just like around the house, just kind of like, you know, that's awesome that you're doing something that you really love like that. There, there was a constant kind of overlying, you know, conversation, which again, like I didn't know that was abnormal. Right. Like I think in so many houses, it's kind of like, you know, it's just not, people don't switch careers and, you know, or well, and they certainly didn't do and it I, then. And I don't know that they talk about it either. I look, I mean, one of the benefits in my childhood was that my parents discussed their work, their pursuits, their challenges in front of me. Uh, and I yeah, got to be a part same. of that. I'm so grateful for it because I also think we have kids and that's just, you don't, that's, you talk with the kids about kids stuff in their school, but you don't, the adults talk over here. I think we're jipping our kids when we don't let them be a part yeah. of the ride. And you shared that in there. And so to realize that your dad is in this, you know, good job, the golden handcuffs, but he's not pursuing what he cares about because I saw the threat of that as you talk about the book in your journey that here you are and you're the anomaly of a college graduate where they're all looking at, Hey, where can I get a good job? And you're going out applying to a lot. I saw that 90, you know, 90 uh, interviews that you got, but you're ultimately looking for what is the thing that you, my words resonate with that you're interested in. Yeah. And that thread came in because I, that's what I teach my kids. You know, whatever you're going to do, there's yeah, a lot of things out there. Why on earth would you not find something that you at least have interest in? But as you know, that is not the norm. It's not where our culture is right now at all. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so true. And I, and, you know, and I think I was to some extent an anomaly, especially for being a Gen Xer, um, you know, too, I think it's just not, I don't know, like I, I was searching for this, like, what do I want to do every single day? And I, I knew one 
thing, which was I wanted to leave Arizona because I had just never really traveled much other than California. I had just sort of like been there. And I thought well, I had met all these people when I was in college that had been from all these other places. And I just thought there's a whole world out there and I want to go find it. And, you know, and that's that's when I just decided I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to go and figure it out. But was there you know, a catalyst for that, though? A catalyst even for the interest in travel? Yeah. Uh, you wanted to go travel, but was there an exposure that made you think, gosh, I shouldn't be so secluded or I am so secluded. I haven't done that. Something that you were yeah, just exposed to that, that it was a catalyst I think, for that? You know, I, I think college for me was kind of the, the thing that was where I would just meet people from all over the country. Yeah. And I would hear about, you know, I would think that they were like a little if like I'd grown up in Arizona and I meet people from Chicago and it wasn't just their accent that made them a little bit different. Maybe they liked pizza more than I did. And I like new Mexican food, you know, like it was just weird things like that, that I would just be like, huh, like, wow, there's like actually a little Italy, you know, and in these cities, like I would just be fascinated by, and I'm still fascinated by it. Like I would just like think about, you know, consumers and people and sort of how are they different? And so, um, and so that for me, I think was, you know, when I decided to embark on this journey of like really going to find, um, you know, what I ultimately wanted to do, I was pretty open. I knew I wanted to live in a big city, right? Like, and I didn't know if I'd get a job in a big city, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, it was also, I didn't know if I could afford to do what I did. And, and so I, I also felt like that was a little bit of a gift when I ended up getting you know, a plane ticket that was like $400 to go to all of these locations. Yeah. And, you know, I always tell, um, tell people like, especially college grads, like I, I learned a lot about myself during that time. And I also figured, you know, I stayed with friends, parents, like along the way. And I always had enough money to like, you know, when I went into their house, like I, you know, bought some flowers, like, like I just did the unexpected, you know, just to, like, you know, just to make sure that they would, um, you know, just how do you treat people like the right way? And, and again, that those kind of things, I think just parlay even into business. Like, well, I think totally, but I want to know again, where that came from, where does the, I don't know. well, because I'm looking yeah. at, I'm looking at PR and, and, you know, you talked about your first job and you were into asking questions and seeking out what the customer needed in the, it was a toy store. Yeah. I think you said, yeah. but even that I, cause I look back and I go, I was, I was, I don't know if I wasn't taught it, I was at least exposed to that. My parents were business owners always. And I saw customer service and I think I'm sure they taught me some, but it was just the exposure of seeing that and seeing you, you over deliver and those things and those messages that got implanted. But I mean, again, you had parents or your dad, at least, who was in a job where you probably didn't see that, though you do cite your brother and his drive and tinkering. Yeah, kind of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial you know, overcoming drive. obstacles, which here you got a book all these years later about overcoming obstacles. And you cite that at again, at an early age of being aware of seeing him again, exposure. seems like you had some pretty divine exposures. Yeah. yeah, no. And I and I do think, obviously, you know, they had an impact on sort of who I was. Mm -hmm. But um, but I I think that, you know, you can't discount the fact that I didn't have like a lot of people um, in front of me saying like, you know, you can't get a job at a toy store at age 14. My dad, my dad was like, I mean, he thought it was kind of like funny. Like he he just he was just like, wait, what? You're you've got a job at age 14 you're like gonna be working Sundays like in the toy store during the cash register and then like the next week I'm like yeah no she's taking me to this toy fair I'm actually doing the buying you know he's like wait what like what what I mean this is crazy and he just thought it he was like good for you you know like that's great and by the way you're making whatever eight bucks an hour or whatever yeah. <laughs> you know they were paying me I don't know like and I but you know the trade-off too is is, you know, I, and, and something I also, I teach my own kids and, and teach, you know, people who have, I, who have come to hint and work for me. Like I wasn't afraid to like show up and work hard and always take on things like, you know, I mean, obviously I was 14. So she, so she knew I hadn't bought toys before, but it just like, I, I just wasn't daunted 
by the idea where somebody had faith in me to actually go and do this. And I was like, okay, put me in the game, you know, like I I'm good. And, and so I think like that kind of spirit has always, you know, been in me. And I thought somewhere in the back of my head, I thought, you know, if it doesn't really work out, it'd be kind of funny. Like it, it went kind of a little ways and then here's where it went wrong. Yeah. And, and so, and some of that was. Most of today you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside and we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital. And Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash Kevin. like, you know, some of these stories along the way that, I mean, people will call it risk. Um, you know, like, was it risky that you were 14 and you were, you know, buying toys for the toy store? Like, what if it, you know, what if like the whole toy store went under cause you bought the wrong toys? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it could have happened. Right. It didn't, but it, but it totally right. And it yeah. could have happened. And so my, so the adults around me were like watching this whole thing kind of in like, gosh, that's a lot. Like, I mean, she's got a lot of faith in Kara, but they weren't also like, you know, giving me a trophy for it. You know, yeah. <laughs> they were kind of like sitting there in awe and then they would share with their friends or, you know, like, can you believe this? Like, this is what she's doing over here. And, you know, and it was just kind of shocking. You know, when I look at today's culture, I, I admittedly struggle with kids who don't seem to want a lot. You know, of course, we, you know, screens have, have factored into there so much where it's too easy to fill your time and not be bored enough to look around. But it's still interesting, even back then, uh, to, to wonder what was the thing Were you was it just a curiosity? Were you wanting yeah. money for something? Was it something that made you feel good about yourself? Again, when you look at that, what were the things that drove you at that age? So I think having siblings who were making money, right? Huh. And and like they had money to go to the mall. I liked that idea too. Um, and, you know, and, and then also I think the, the curiosity side of this, like once I got the, the bug, 
Um, but I never usually had it all figured out how it was going to go down. Like I, my girlfriend, uh, reminded me on Facebook a couple of months ago about her best story about me um, from grade school, which was when we were 11 or 12 years old, I reached out to her and I said, okay, it's the middle of summer in Arizona. It's like 120 degrees. And I said, Robin, let's start a camp. And she was like, wait, what? Like we're 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, it'll be great. Let's start a camp. And she was like, how much, how much is like the camp? Like, how, how are we going to get like the kids? And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll like create a sign and we'll go hold, hold it on the corner. And, um, and then people will ask us how much, and then we'll figure out like, based on, you know, what their response is, we'll make a different sign. Like, let's start it right. with like $4. Early and we started test, test marketing. Right. Yeah. And, and so then all of a sudden we figured out that like $5 was like the magic number. And for whatever reason. So then we, um, you know, started this camp and she was like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, um, so we can go to the grocery store and we can get these large boxes that like paper towels come in and, and uh, toilet paper comes in and we can build a city. And so this is an opportunity for your kids to like build a city. Well, maybe it'll be a town. Like it won't really be a city because that'll take too long. So we'll just do a town. And so we had these connections like all over the lawn. And like, so again, like my parents would come home and they'd be like, what are you doing? There's all these little kids yeah. in the neighborhood. And, and then after like three weeks, I, I just, I said, oh, I'm bored. Like, I, I just wanted to go do something else at this point. It was totally successful. And I had like learned enough. I knew that I could like run this business and Robin and I split the money and <laughs> it was like done. But she said, you I knew you never really had it figured out uh -huh. along the way, but you were okay with not having all the answers. And so, you know, I think that's one of the earlier stories, even before the toy store, um, where, you know, there were definitely signs that I was, you know, I was interested and okay with ambiguity, right? Like, well, it's like, and I'm, I'm going to guess though, that from your, again, your family, your parents, that there was an aspect of uh, you're okay. I'm going to guess that they weren't the, you know, straight A's or you're in the doghouse. I mean, there was some, uh, flexibility or some approval regardless. Maybe that's yeah. kind of the unconditional love thing because you obviously were, and it sounds like at least as far as how you relate to your brother or, or talk about him too, that it was okay to try things. It was okay if they didn't work out because yeah. you talking about that, not having it all figured out. I don't have the quote, but it's in the latter part of your book where you talked about, it was, uh, my paraphrasing would be, we knew you knew you could provide the minimally viable product as long as you yeah. had that even if the water was a little cloudy or the labels were falling off that was a story that that was okay and that's something that you obviously had from a very early age yeah and yeah, no, exactly. And I think that that is, you know, that's the aspect of trying too. that I think also, you know, also being owning things, right? Like I've been also, I, I think that that is another theme that, you know, my parents cared more about us lying than they mm -hmm. care than actually owning, you know, and believe me, like I had two brothers who were incredibly naughty and, you know, and they learned that early on, you know, that, that, that is like, is, you know, they would make some wrong mistakes, uh, you know, along the way, but the fact that they actually owned that they did what they weren't supposed to be doing was much more important to my parents. And, and so things, you know, again, like lessons like that, but my parents, they, they cared about grades. All of us, all five of us, like never really had issues with, with grades. I mean, I don't know for whatever reason, but they also, um, the one thing that, you know, my dad really did care about was sports. And so we always had to be like in a sport always. And so it was like, and so, you know, there were times like when I played softball, you know, because that was the only sport that I could be playing. And, and so, and I knew that I wasn't the best softball player, but I was like, oh, I'm playing softball. Like, you know, here's how you play. Here are the best people, you know, but whatever. And I would, you know, 
be able to sort of articulate that. Like, I think like the things that I learned from individual sports versus teamwork. Like I was just so curious about like what made great people, like how you depend on people. Even today, like how I build my team today, I always say to managers, like always hire people that do not only stuff better than you for your team, but also that are going to educate you. Because if they're going to educate you, you're all, you'll always be mentally with them, right? Yeah. If you're sitting here and always the best person on the team or, you know, like you just burn out, like you just get bored. If you're the one that's always like, you know, educating people. And, and frankly, I mean, I talk about this at AOL that I felt like I got myself into a position where that was me, that yeah. I was constant. People were coming to me. Okay. Now what do I do? Now, what do I do now? What do I, what do I do? And it just became, it was fine. Right. And that's where I talk about, you know, management, too, that that I think for me, it's, um, you know, I always want to surround myself with, you know, things that I don't know. Right. And people that I don't really understand. And so that's why it's been for me jumping into the beverage industry. The first two years were like, you know, I was getting my MBA in beverages and it was like super exciting. And none of my friends that I hung out with, they were all in tech in Silicon Valley, you know, and they're like, wait, what are you doing? And I'm like, I know it's really crazy, but it's like fascinating. Like not only the soda industry, but also how you make the stuff. Well, and to me, it took some, I, when I looked at that and again, you've got this great corporate uh, pedigree at that time. And then to do it was, it took some humility, uh, is totally. what I thought. And you know, I do want to hit on what you just said though, about, and, and my paraphrasing was being the smartest person in the room. There's some quote that I've heard to the degree of, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need, you need a different room. You need a better room, Totally. but I see it as such a, I think I've got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because in the leader world of leadership, it's if you if you are a leader, if you are a coach, if you are a consultant, it is so easy to fall into that trap of you have to be the smartest person in the room on every topic. And mm -hmm. it's it's not believable anymore, for one thing. And I think people have soured against that in the world of you know experts and authors and leaders that, that the ones that used to be, if you're on the stage, you have to come off like you've got it all figured out and you've arrived. And mm -hmm. I don't think people believe it anymore. I think yeah. it's, I think they've lost their, the, the No, I, the I think that's true. And I mean, I would just add that I don't think for me, I didn't necessarily think I was always the smartest person in the room, but I was put into a position Oh, to, that's what I mean. Totally. You're expected yeah. to be in a lot. You're of expected to be. Yeah. And I think and and um, I think there's a lot. I don't think we we actually, you know, this is probably a whole other topic. But I think schools, you know, when I learned about management, when I went to school and I was a you know journalism major and was a minor in finance, I never learned that, you know, managers should actually like hire people that are better than them. Right. Like, you know, your role as a manager and this is what I instill in, in our team, your role as a manager is actually, you know, to kind of be a parent in some ways. Right. Where you, you've got, you know, the title, you've got the responsibility to do this and make sure that the wheels are turning. Right. That doesn't mean that you hire people that are just like that's all they do every single day. And so I always share with people, you know, my my, um, you know, curiosity when they're hiring people, I'm like, so what do they know that you don't? Yeah. And, and I'm like, because I care about you as an employee, like I care about them, but they're not here yet. And I care about you as an employee because I want to make sure that every single day you're engaged yeah. because I know that like, I believe that the biggest part of burnout comes from, you know, when people are just doing the same thing, everything single day. And then, and then, you know, I mean, and frankly, it's true for parenting too, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're sitting there always giving directions, always doing the same thing every day, it just gets monotonous and you get frustrated. Right. It, it is. So, we, it's so funny you say that because we've gone from, you know, homeschooling to charter schools, to part-time school, to private school, to full-time public school and back again. Cause I think we just get so bored with the monotony of the grind that school yeah. is. And, yeah. and I think it's, and I think like, that's just a really, I think that that sort of aspect, I think just parlays into, you know, 
like how I think about people say, like, how do you I've been interviewed for how do you think about management? Why do you think that? Because it's not sort of like a topic that people even talk about or like I say to I was speaking to a group of engineers at UC Berkeley. And I think I really ticked off the head of engineering there because I said, like, if you really want to be Mark Zuckerberg or pick your, you know, Silicon Valley guy, like go and actually appreciate finance and appreciate marketing and go take some classes while you're here in those areas. Because if you don't actually understand, if you aren't a generalist, you're not going to be running a company. Yeah, You can be a killer engineer and make plenty of dough, you know, but at the end of the day, like you've got to actually have respect. It doesn't mean you have to do it every day, but you have to have respect and you have to, you know, understand enough about those businesses and and unfortunately and you know great schools like berkeley for example they don't have people you know they don't have their students yet and that's what i mean about sort of education they don't have them engineers are taking engineering classes right. and that's what they do every single day and that's not teaching them for the world real world well you pull me back to humility again uh that i see that in your story so often even that from a management perspective to hire people better than you take some. It reminds me, there's a story of a head coach, NFL college, I don't know, but he was known by creating the, the most other head coaches. He had them come through his system. They said, gosh, doesn't that bother you? He said, well, what's my other option? To get lesser coaches that are gonna stick with me and not get the best that wanna go on and become a head yeah. coach. He said, I get the best all along. I, I, it's a story, it's a big name coach, I can't remember who it is, but that I haven't heard that perspective in a while. And that, well, obviously that's what's helped make your company what it is. I want to come back to you because you had your third kid and 9-11 happened. And at that point, you said you made a commitment to making a positive difference in the world. Was that a uh, was there any hindsight thought of, gosh, I'm not not that I'm not haven't done anything worthwhile, but I'm just, you know, I'm doing jobs. And did you question what you had been doing as far as its contribution to the world? Or did you just simply look at that incident of 9-11 and go, holy smokes, I I, I just feel a greater commitment because of that to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, too, that, you know, I like, I, you know, you, you read in the book, I, I moved to New York City. And mm -hmm. I and I think in many ways it was just like the most diverse place I had ever been in my life. Right. Like I had just met a lot of really interesting people from all different parts of the world and, you know, that were living there and and um definitely, you know, almost interviewed for jobs in, in the World Trade Center. I had friends, um, you know, who were there and, a, you know, friend who um, I later found out was actually coming back from maternity leave, coming, you know, on the path train like that morning. And she was just late, you know, and and um, and obviously didn't get there. Thank God. But um, but, you know, it just it was like almost too close for comfort, mm -hmm. you know, where I just thought if there's no tomorrow and, you know, and it stopped right now, would I be OK with my life? And I think like that is when I just like, you know, I had these young kids. I, you know, had a husband I loved, you know, I, I like had a great house, you know, in San Francisco. Like I just, I don't know. I just looked around and it was really, there wasn't anybody that anybody, there wasn't anything that anybody could say to me that kind of would have changed my mind. Right. Because it was, it had been my journey and sort of growing and kind of what I was hearing, you know, along the way. And I had never in my life kind of had something, you know, that really stopped me in my tracks that was that memorable. I mean, I've shared with, you know, my my teenage kids now that I said, like, 2020 for you guys, it will it will impact you. Like right now, you're like kind of looking around and but you'll see like there's behaviors that people you know, have that are, you know, not necessarily what you subscribe to. Like there's, you know, like we had a bunch of people on our team um, that that got sick, um, you know, not um, they didn't pass away, but they had relatives that did. So there was, you know, there was just a lot of people that have been impacted. In this. And so for me, I think 9-11 was that, yeah. you know, and and different but but had sort of that same impact. And so that's when I, you know, really started to think about nonprofits. And unfortunately, 
you know, I sort of somewhat jokingly talk about this, like AOL kind of ruined me in a way because we're working in a startup that had, you know, like the hockey stick that we went through at AOL was just like, you know, you're, you're on this like high of like growing a company. I mean, one day there was 200 people in the company. The next day there was 5,000. I mean, literally, you know, and it just kept, then the next week it was like 15,000. And like all of a sudden there's just people like, you know, in, in the company and you just don't, you don't know most of these people and you're all there kind of working and, and you're in it. But I feel like, um, you know, I don't know, like I I had a great time there, but I just thought I'm not sure that I would just be like satisfied that. That's what I was going to ask. So it kind of it almost took the wind out of your sails. Is that fair to say for this corporate trajectory that you were on? Well, I just didn't really when I would hear about you know, people who had some kind of purpose, whether it was, you know, first responders or, um, or a, um, or something that was, you know, really going towards like a goal, like a nonprofit and the nonprofit seemed like much more doable for me at this point because I had, you know, these young kids and I thought, Oh, okay, well maybe I could go do that. But the problem with the nonprofits that, I was talking to was they just didn't move fast enough. And again, like I always talk about, you know, your journey. It's not, right? a, not an entrepreneurial hotbed there. No. Yeah. I'm and, and I was just like, okay, like we've been here for two hours. Like, what are we doing? And, and at AOL, I think the, the thing was, is like everyone in the meetings, like we would only show up at meetings. We wouldn't like have meetings just for the sake of meetings. We would show up at meetings because we had to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And there would be a decision made. Right. And we would just like move and it might not be the right decision, but it was like things like that. Then I was coming into a nonprofit and I'd be like, wait, we have a meeting like every Tuesday, you know, and like, what are we what are we doing? And so I I didn't take a job with any of the nonprofits. I was more volunteering initially to kind of get a feel for it. And I felt like while I could have impact, potentially I'd have to like change a culture almost. And so that was my really kind of my first um you know, breath in that. And, and I think another thing that a few people have picked up on, on the book that, you know, I talk about, um, you know, these different environments that I was in for me too, it was like, you know, when I ultimately created my own environment by starting my company, I'd been in all these different cultures. Yeah. And so I brought like I cherry picked from all of them, right. To sort of say like, this is the perfect thing where, you know, still to this day, like, I don't, I always share with people when they come on, like I don't prescribe to having like weekly meetings. I said like, and I don't expect people to actually have to show up at meetings. Like your responsibility, if you're having a meeting, you need to sort of like say why you're having a meeting, mm-hmm. right? Cause otherwise I'd rather see people like go take a bike ride at four o'clock in the afternoon and just like have a good time and still be smiling. Right. And not and and I think like that kind of like culture and mentality is something that I got from having different, you know, playing in different like um, games along along the way that I'm thankful for because I was able to, you know, kind of build something that I think ultimately makes sense, at least to me. Well, yeah. Speaking of cherry picking, which you just talked about. I think I like cherry better than blackberry and, and I'm generally yeah. a blackberry guy. The cherry is just awesome. I love cherry too. Yeah, I'm all, I'm constantly, cherry is amazing. So you, um, you go from this incident, nine 11, and then you come up to the point where you have three kids, you're exhausted, you're dealing with skin issues, you're up 50 pounds and the docs prescribe some meds to reset your hormones. You're thinking that's not right. What was the timeline between that? Because here you've got this inciting incident of 9-11. Now you have another one of your own health issues. What was the gap in there time-wise? Yeah, it was like a couple of years okay. that I was like sort of playing around with it. Yeah. Um, and I just had my third child. Yeah. Um, so I was pregnant um, when, I, when 9-11 hit. And, and I think for... For me, it was like, I don't know, I think it's a very common thing when people are in between, you know, roles that they're saying, okay, I'm going to take the time to like, you know, get healthy. And um, this new store, Whole Foods had just uh, opened up in the Bay Area, too. So I thought 
it's like so pretty and you know it's got all this like great food I thought if I just go shop there then maybe I would get healthy and I somewhat joke about it as much as I love Whole Foods like there's a lot of unhealthy stuff in Whole Foods you you can still get in trouble in Whole Foods. Yeah, you can still get di- you can still get diabetes in Whole Foods yeah 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 it's still and and so what what I just you know and and I finally had time to sort of like you know, actually shop like I used to before. I mean, I was, you know, trying to be a parent and run around and, and travel to the East coast every week. Like I just, I was out of time. I mean, now I'm like leisurely, like going through the aisles at whole foods and, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, really seeing, and, and this was even before I came up with the concept, but seeing how, you know, consumers like me were just so fooled by, you know, like packaging and, and, you know, things that just because they were a little more expensive, like I had sort of bought into this whole idea that, you know, well, it's, if it's at a, like a fancy market, then it will be better for you and it will, you know, taste bad anyway. Val- so, value proposition there. Sure. Right. Like right. I, I was like, you know, I was this incredible consumer. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think there, there was some, you know, there was some slow like timing that was going on, that was going on just as I was kind of living my life. And, um, well, I, I appreciate that. That's why I pulled it yeah. out because here yeah. you are and you know, you're, you're flying high, flying fast, whatever this, this incident happens. And it would be really easy to think that, Oh man, you made the shift immediately. You know, you quit the job, you started whatever going after it. And it, it, two years still pass while this is incubating, if we could say, yeah. and then you have this incident and, and folks, you will read this in the book. So you were, uh, leading up to that. You said you had a diet Coke addiction of you know, nine, 10 cans a day, which is a lot. Holy smokes. And stopped that went to eight glasses of water per day. And within a short time, what was it? 20 pounds, your skin cleans up. You're- yeah. 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. That's and I was kind of, and that's when I really just had this aha moment. And, you know, that was, you know, I would say that it was definitely weight. I had, I had probably given up on being able to lose the weight because I had tried so often. Um, but for me, like the skin issues were just kind of like, I never had, you know, even teenage acne. And so for me, it was just kind of like, why is this going on? And so after going to my dermatologist and, you know, really trying to get it under control, I just thought like, wow, I wonder if it is something that I'm eating. Nowhere did I like have a conversation with, with a doctor saying like, well, what are you drinking? Nobody questioned the diet soda at all. And I didn't question the diet soda at all either. And, you know, and then I started again, like, You know, I had time. I was like shopping. I was looking at labels on my food. and everything. And then all of a sudden I, I saw that there were a lot of ingredients in, in the soda can, um, you know, that I had like probably loved more than my husband. Right. (laughs) You know, it was like, I, I like had to have it every single day. Like I was just like, why not? And, and I think that's when I really, you know, realized, and, you know, I was talking about it as like an addiction and, you know, now I'm so used to like talking about that, even when I was first, you know, started hint and I was talking about my diet soda, um, you know, relationship and how it was like this huge addiction and how I gave it up. Like I, it's funny because no one ever called me out on, you know, I didn't sort of highlight to people that I was drinking eight to 12 cans a day. It's diet. It's diet. It was healthy. It's diet. Yeah. Yeah, But, uh, but then after, of course I started hint and, you know, I've met people over the years who worked with me at all of my different jobs that I had. Um, maybe not the toy store, but, but, the CNN and time and AOL, they were all like, yeah, we would never go into a meeting with you unless you had the diet Coke. And I was like, really? Like, was I that like bad? And they just said, no, you like had, you know, you just, you had to have it. And, and again, like, that's just, it's so, you know, it's just so sad, right? Like it's, it's sad that you've got something that this like connection and, and I just think it's, it's just, it's not something, I mean, why should the soda industry ultimately fix it? And why should, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and, you know, 
back a lot of the diet sweetened companies when, you know, when I started this company, a friend of mine uh, works at the Center for Disease Control. And she had mentioned to me that um, that uh, she was working on this study on type two diabetes Mm -hmm. and how it was like. 2% 2% of the population 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now it's like 45% of the population. We've just eclipsed 50. We're now over 50%. Yeah. 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 And it's crazy when you think about like most of those people are actually claiming to drink low fat and diet. Now, given that, given what we know about that, don't you think we would actually say, huh, maybe this isn't actually working yeah. towards getting people healthier. Yeah. But again, like there's no incentive because the pharmaceutical companies are making so much money off of people being sick. And so that was like the conversation that I was having with myself, you know, kind of like, you know, maybe kind of angry a little, like that I had been fooled and that I was like potentially heading down this path and nobody really cared, right? And I thought it's like kind of sad, right? And, but again, all my friends were in tech, Right. Like they were all and, and it, like it wasn't like I thought that they were all evil or anything like that. I just thought that they just wouldn't understand what I was like kind of thinking about every single day and reading about. And, you know, and so that that was really like where my mind was um, in the process. So you, I love that you said the relationship that you had with Diet Coke, because I think we have a relationship with everything and especially those addictive things that, yes, seem, uh, seem innocuous, but then you find out it's taking over, taking down your life. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the book and the story, you go and you start making the water, you, you come up with this thing, people want it uh, and they're asking you, where did you get that? And you say, gosh, I made it. And so you build this up until the point where you come to your husband and say, I want, I want to build a business out of this. And the, the quote that I love from him is realizing as he's over here in healthcare, as I think so often, you know, in healthcare, I live in that health and wellness world and there's such great things coming out. There's such great knowledge. And it seems like daily, there's another book, there's another message, there's another treatment, there's something else. And it's awesome. And I look at it and go, it's great. It's not going to make a dent. It's just mm-hmm. not. How, it's not going to affect the culture. You talked about incentive, and that's a big part of my life right now is how do we incentivize healthy decisions? You talk about making them fall in love. How do we incentivize? And that your husband came back and he says, man, here I am working over here in, in the health industry. I think we can change more people's lives through getting them to change to water over sugary drinks than anything I'm doing. I, I would put that above just about anything that I've heard as far yeah. as what can, how many people... I mean, and literally care, I mean, and you know this, but it's just, I want people to hear how, what is the tick moving the needle, as we would say, that you have made and how many lives by getting this, you can get people to take 5% less sugar in their dietary intake. And probably people who switch over to your water do a lot better than that because they're consuming sugary drinks, which are some of the worst culprits. What is the tick that you mean? How many people have you kept out of the hospital? Have you kept off insulin? I, I, I mean, you don't know, but it's got to be significant. I'm going to put it above the, any of the, the next pharmaceutical that came out or even the next nutritional supplement that came yeah. out or the next book on uh, diabetes or whatever, you know, hormones or autoimmune or whatever is this is maybe this is one of the best drugs ever. Right. Yeah, no, it, totally. And I think, you know, the other aspect, I mean, he was doing a medical startup that was really trying to get better um, better information out of consumers, um, to help them get better diagnostics. He grew up in his dad's a doctor and, um, a great doctor and, you know, was always frustrated with, he's a gastro doctor, but it was always frustrated by, you know, he would tell people like, you need to do this and things will get better. And, you know, a, he couldn't go home with them and make sure that they did those things. Yeah. Right. And then also, um, you know, the fact that it would like he never even knew whether or not they took him seriously. Right. Like, you know, he would be telling somebody like, you know, we've re- we, you've had colon cancer and you can't actually, you know, do this anymore. And then, you know, they'd be back with colon cancer and they, you know, they'd lie and say, oh, they didn't do it, whatever. And and I would hear these stories kind of secondhand and think, you know, again, it's like part of my journey. And I thought, like, maybe it's too complicated for people. 
to actually like maybe actually if you get them sooner and you get them enjoying a product that actually tastes good, mm -hmm. but also like makes them realize like for two dollars or less a bottle and changing one tiny little thing every single day, like you'll not only prevent to your point you know, millions of people from ultimately getting some of these d diseases, hard to measure, but yes, like that's, you know, part of it. But then also it's not, it, you know, you're getting them before they ultimately are in defense mode, Yeah, I guess is that, you know, yeah. and, and I think like that is what, you know, I saw and my husband saw like kind of, I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, I always talk about you know, no one can take away what, what's happened to you in the past and your journey and all of these pieces. Like, you know, here I grew up in Arizona and I was like, you know, an entrepreneur, but also super, you know, engaged with my diet soda. He didn't drink diet soda. He was like sitting there, the son of a doctor and hearing these stories at home. And then all of a sudden, you know, and he really ap appreciated the fact that his father was always trying to help people gain health. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden this idea comes up right in front of him and he is just like, that's it. Right. Like, like you're actually like, you may actually, because you're not prescribing to people, you're actually like sharing something that tastes good with them. And if you can get them interested because it just tastes good, then, you know, they'll start to see the changes and know that they can do it. Yeah. And, and so I've always shared actually with entrepreneurs that, I mean, I can name a hundred products that were developed by doctors that never made it. Yeah. People think like, oh, you know, it's like made by a doctor, you know, actually people kind of get afraid of doctors. They don't really want to like buy a product or walk around with something that is made by a doctor, at least not in a beverage. Right. Like it's like and so I think like that's another piece of this, too, that it's like it was hard to articulate, you know, what we were seeing or what we were feeling. But we felt like it was worth trying. Well, and ultimately, it kind of comes down that road of social entrepreneurship that you've got a for-profit business and you were before looking at nonprofit and you look at humanitarian altruistic endeavors. And I would say that of the products I've run across, I don't know one that's probably made as big of impact as this. And again, I'm, you know, I'm a huge advocate of, let's say nutritional supplements as, yeah. as one. I'm a, I'm a believer in those that we can't get all that we uh, need from the American diet, even at the best that we would try to, that there's deficits. And so I, I'm a fan of those. It's very difficult to measure the results of those. I think more so, though, if I can see a family, see a person and just look at their average grams of sugar per day that are probably going to uh, involve some kind of a beverage and just pull that off. OK, we would be guesstimating some, but I mean, my yeah. goodness, you could do a clinical trial with that and say, if you take somebody with this many grams of sugar, and pull it down here, we can know what it does to their bodies. It's, it's huge. And yet here you have a business that's fun. It's as you said, it's not a bad tasting nutritional supplement. It tastes great. And it yeah. is changing lives for the better. Now you have a brand, as you talk about then, that people want to associate with, which, as you know, is a holy grail. That's gigantic. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And people feel like, you know, I think even 15 years later, I mean, the number of people who write to me daily and say, like, they use words like they discovered my product. Mm -hmm. You helped me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like those are very, very positive, you know, words. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's you know, I don't have a Ph.D. In, in vocabulary, but I know enough to know like when when you use a word discover, it's yeah. like a very positive feeling. Yeah. Right. You don't discover something negative. You discover something that is, you know, typically that is, you know, really bringing you Beneficial, something official. Yeah, right? totally. And, yeah. And so I think it's and, and again, sometimes people, you know, we we hear from a number of, of um, cancer patients who have our product when they're like going through chemo and, you know, and they think like they're the first one to ever share with me that hint helps mask the metallic taste that they get when they're told by their doctor to drink more water. And then they hear about hint helps mask the metallic taste. 
And then they start drinking it. And then they write to me and say, thank you for helping me get through chemo. I discovered, and it's like, and, and again, that can also be, I work at Google and, you know, I started working here and everybody was drinking this product. So I picked up a bottle and you helped me drink more water, mm-hmm. right? Like I discovered it while I'm working here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just these very, like, again, it, it's, it's different scale of, of like, is it really trying to help them get healthier or is it just drinking more water? And I think for, for me as a, you know, not only as a founder, but also as a CEO, I mean, it's, it's like incredibly impactful, right? Like it's just to wake up and know that, you know, people are depending on you. Um, We're also, you know, super careful at not unlike, you know, some of the supplement and vitamin companies that are out there. I mean, they do their thing, but we're, we're very much about, you know, don't actually, um, we don't make any health claims other than the fact, like we just help people drink water and we're very careful about that. And, you know, and people will say like, oh, it, you know, it definitely like whatever, you know, help my cholesterol or whatever. We're like, that's awesome. Right. You know, and I think that that's just another, there are so many companies out there that make claims and often get sued, right. For making a lot of those claims. But I think for, for me, I never wanted to have a company that, you know, was, was sort of in that business of trying to, you know, like potentially trick people. Right. And not all of them do probably, but I just don't have the data to back up. Pervasive. Right. And, and I think it's just an important, it's just an important point. It's like, if you've got a product that can stand on its own, that like, why do you need that? Why do you need to, you know, sort of have, well, your tagline, you know, not making a medical claim, but it's brilliant. Drink water, not sugar right there. Just Mm -hmm. kind of makes you feel convicted. Like son of a gun, Mm -hmm. what am I drinking? It's that's, that's brilliant. Well, you know, just in your trajectory of motive. So here is this company that I would put on an altruistic humanitarian, you know, level of what it is doing out there. So you've got that. And then next, I mean, you obviously put a lot of focus and you talk about that in the book on the corporate culture that you get to spearhead that you get to foster and nurture. And now you've kind of come not, I wouldn't say full circle. I'm sure there's more of the circle to come, but now a book that you, what was the catalyst for that of saying, gosh, I want to take this message further. Well, I guess you started speaking, you got called on to speak and that became a big part of your life. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the key thing in writing a book was that I could just really impact, you know, and, and, and inspire more people. And so I was, um, that, you know, I've been an active speaker for the last few years on building my company hint. Um, but it would always shock me when I would hear, you know, people asking questions from the audience or writing to me afterwards and sort of identifying themselves as very different than me, that they didn't have doubts. And I mean, that I didn't have doubts, they had doubts and they were just really different from me. And they, you know, had fears and I've never had any failures. I've been really lucky. And I was like, wow, you know, they, they, they really don't have, you know, the picture. And, and in fact, I don't think they have the picture of most, you know, entrepreneurs or successful people or, you know, pro athletes or, you know, you name it. Right. Where I think like the difference really between these people and, you know, those other people or me is that they go try and they're not afraid to live undaunted. And they, you know, they and I think that over the last few years, I've, you know, spent I've, I've limited it to like five hours a week trying to talk to people about, you know, everything from, you know, mentoring or um, helping them, you know, figure out some kind of sticking point in their company, whatever. And I thought if I could actually write a book and sort of share my own experiences, then maybe I can actually reach a lot more people too. I think what's, what's fascinating, the book's gotten amazing reviews, thankfully. Um, the, I had one review, um, from, from a, uh, uh, somebody who's in like the, the B2B industry. And it was interesting because they said, um, the thing that, that she doesn't do in her first book that maybe she should do in her second book is, um, is to basically at the end of every chapter, 
right? Here's how you do things. One, two, three. Hmm. And I, and so the first thing that I thought about was like, if you ask any entrepreneur how they did it, there's like, and, and, you know, definitely I identify in the chapters sort of what we're talking about, but there's a lot of components, right. To actually how they did things. And oftentimes they'll go down a river and then they'll figure out, eh, I'm going in the wrong direction. They have good EQ and they'll come back the other way and then they'll head in this direction or whatever. And you obviously see it in, in the stories mm-hmm. too. And so I think it's, um, I, I also believe that the people who want the prescription, right, to say, you know, this is how you do this, they might not be entrepreneurs and that's okay, mm-hmm. right? That is actually fine. Like we also, I'm a huge believer that we also need contributors, right? To entrepreneurs, because they can't do it all on their own. I mean, if I didn't have people, right, that were actually doing, you know, great things in the company, that's like super critical. Yeah. But I think to actually be the vision and sort of like, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Sarah Blakely from Spanx or Jeff Zuckerberg from Facebook, like like it doesn't matter what the industry is. You could not sit them down. Any great entrepreneur, Steve Jobs, who like any of these people, and they could say it was one, two, three. They would tell you lessons that they've learned very similar to what I lay out in this book. Um, And, you know, frankly, the the book has now been picked up in some classes, including at Wharton on um, and on sort of like thinking about this stuff because they're they're more it's it's really training people to think about concepts and and stories. And I believe through stories, Mm -hmm. that's not only how you you know, learn how to do things or put it into your own perspective, but also, you know, I think they also build great brands. Well, I, as I, well. I think what you said, concepts, yeah, I could share that as I look back through my trajectory, but there's so much, some of the biggest things that I've done, I look back in the first answer to the question of how'd you do is go, I don't know. I'm not yeah, quite yeah. sure. I can give you some of the concepts, but well, your story is, it's so fascinating. It's inspiring. And just read it. Like I said, I've got one, I, I'll probably have more than one kid, but I've got one particular who I know will resonate with your story of just being willing to try it, of being humble, of giving it a shot, of believing that you can make this thing work. So uh, I'm grateful that you took the time to put it out there uh, with as Thank much you. else as you have going on. And I'm a, a fan of your you and your company's mission helping people fall in love with healthy choices i don't know if there's an endeavor that will make a bigger dent in what's happening out there in healthcare right now so kara thank you thanks for what you're doing yeah thanks thanks for for having me thank you for taking the time to share yeah and definitely if you want to pick up a copy of the book it's undaunted overcoming doubts and doubters you can get it at um at uh i think you're going to put a link on the site but i'm going to give them amazon as well and And um, yeah, awesome. We'll get it out there. Thank you so much, Kara. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on this journey to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. Kara Golden. Again, her book is called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And she's host of the podcast, The Kara Golden Show. You can also find her on uh, Instagram, Kara, K-A-R-A, Golden, G-O-L-D-I-N. She's got like 650,000 followers on Instagram as well. And if you appreciate this podcast and want to share it with others, give us a rating on Spotify and leave us a review on Apple. You can subscribe on YouTube to watch any of these episodes and on social media. We've got a lot of clips available these days, little uh, really good blurbs of each show. You can find me everywhere on social media, YouTube, Kevin Miller, CO. And if you want to learn how to master your own inner drive, get my book, What Drives You. Find it on Amazon in any form you want. Until next time, stay driven.